Mickey, welcome to the Bitcoin Source. Can we start things off by having to introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, uh, Mickey, proud dad of three, husband, um, active duty army officer, and guest contributor to Bitcoin Magazine. So I'm rocking my rocking my Bitcoin Magazine dad hat, and then I had to rock, you know, the short sleeve uh, plaid shirt, just you know, to be like ultra dad vibes for this interview. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you being on, on the show right now. So, um, you know, I want to start things off kind of just getting some insight and in where like you sourced a lot of your Bitcoin knowledge, because I'm familiar that you've done a ton of articles for Bitcoin magazine. So you're for sure knowledgeable about this digital asset. So um, to start things off, Mickey, you know, where did you source your Bitcoin knowledge, whether it was books, courses or even people in the ecosystem that might have inspired you? Could you kind of break some of those things down? Yeah. So. I don't, I don't remember if I was just really bad at searching or the podcast didn't exist yet, but I feel like hundred percent audio. Like I don't read a ton of articles. I don't have time, you know, I have a full-time job and three kids. And so like, don't have time to read. Um, so I found, I found the podcasting thing, um, started doing heavy podcasts in Bitcoin. Um, I think like spring 2020. And, and it was mostly crypto stuff, right? And so I think the first book I got was from like the Crypto 101 podcast, you know, just some like janky website, like send us $9 and then I got some, you know, self-published book. But that was the first thing that was, you know, that was the first peek behind the curtain, right? Um, that's how I understand it, you know, hashing and all that stuff. And then as I got through all those crypto podcasts, there would be like the glimpses of Bitcoin. And really that was the only thing that made sense to me. Um, I remember kind of this, uh, like a breakthrough moment almost when I heard Nick Batia on, uh, you know, this crypto bro podcast talking about layered money. And it was just like, yes, like this, this is it. Like, this is what I've been searching for. And then, so I think there was like those little cracks, um, in, in the facade of crypto that, that allowed me to like flip through and then get to Bitcoin only, um, so I, I get up at five. Uh, I, you know, I sip coffee for an hour and then I exercise uh, for, for the army, right? But during that time, I'm listening to podcasts essentially at three times speed. So by seven in the morning, 7.30, I've listened to like six hours worth of content already. And then, you know, I'm sneaking it in. Like every time I get in the car, I won't even put it in drive until I have like Greg Foss talking in the background or something. You know what I mean? Uh, I just completely addicted to the learning. Um, if you think 3X is fast, like challenge your body, you got to fit more content in. Um, there's always more to learn. So they, definitely the audio. Audio is what is what I do because I, I just don't have time for, for really reading or anything else. Nice, nice. I know a lot of people are really gravitating towards the podcast, um, the podcast arena, I should say. And even for me, like long form, you know, what Bitcoin did type of podcasts are really good. There's a lot of information there. But, you know, if you're just listening to it on a regular speed regimen, it could take you a day and a half or three days to listen to it. Like I'm a father myself, so I understand, uh, you know, your limited ability to actually get things done. But, uh, Mickey, I really want to get into and also I want to thank you, too, for your service in the military forces. But um, I really want to get into and talk about your discovery of Bitcoin while at West Point on active duty? So I, I didn't actually discover Bitcoin 
um, at West Point, but West Point kind of set the stage. Um, so like back a couple years prior when I was in high school, my grandparents got me this uh, Motley Fool Investing for Teens book. And it just absolutely blew my mind. Like you're telling me I can get money and then I can use that money to make more money. Like mind blown. Um, this like loved economics in high school. And so transition, you know, I'm looking for a college to go to and I'm looking at all that student debt and stuff. And so really the decision to go to West Point was really kind of driven by that, that broken college system where it's like, you know, one guy told me I ran into him randomly at this college fair. He's like, hey, West Point's free. And I'm like, so let's do this. Um, and so that's really my story about how I even like found out about West Point. I'm like, free college? Sick. Let's do this. And so I, I got into economics at West Point. That was my major. Um, and so like there was some really cool like logically based classes where I'm like, yep, this makes sense. Um, and then there were some others like micro, where it was basically just, you know, basic calculus with story problems. So it's like what like what are we optimizing? We're optimizing made up equations that you guys made up. Like this this isn't real. Um and then and then others. So we had the thing that really blew the kind of the top off and maybe a little little suspect of everything was was the combination of money and banking and then macroeconomics, right? And so money and banking was was all about like, you know, fractional reserve banking and this is how the Fed manages interest rates. And we can never, you know, risk-free rate of return is like government bonds because we can always print money and just, just pay it off. And that, that was kind of weird. And then the necessity for inflation over time because if people don't, you know, if people don't consume, then everything blows up, right? And so that was kind of the money and banking story. But then in macroeconomics, on the other side, we have, you know, aggregate supply, aggregate demand. And so one way to shift aggregate supply is like advances in technology, increased uh, innovation, uh, productivity. And so if you're targeting that aggregate supply curve, you can get a GDP increase with a decrease in price level. Uh, I think that's called deflation, right? And so you can get GDP growth according to conventional economic models with deflation, aggregate supply, aggregate demand. I'm probably gonna get roasted by economists for this. I don't really care. But it's just like, you know, they're on one side, they're making up models and they're doing all these things. Um, and then on the other side, they're kind of contradicting themselves with these other models. And so, you know, some cracks in the Keynesian stuff. Um, I get out or I, I graduate, I commission second lieutenant. Um, you know, I do my time. And then really, I think once, once I'm a captain, I'm in command. So probably four years. Four years, yeah, 2018. So it's about four or five years after I graduated. I'm a captain in the army. I'm a commander, and one of my uh, communications, like IT guys, comes up and he's like, "Hey, sir, let me." Like, I don't even remember why he told me this. He's like, "Hey, let me tell you about this mining thing I'm doing." And so he had some graphics cards, like in his closet. He was mining Ethereum. Um, so immediately, it was just kind of like, "Nope." Sounds legal. Don't like I'm the commander. Don't want to hear about this. Don't even tell me. Um, but I got curious, and so you see, I started digging in. And so that was really the first exposure. As I as I dug in, I'm like, oh, cool. I can buy a computer and plug it in and do nothing, and then it just makes me money. Like while I'm you know sleeping, eating, you know whatever. And so that was really kind of the start of it. Is 
I went, I went, uh, I went down the rabbit hole pretty, pretty quick, pretty deep. And so I got like, you know, a month later, I had convinced my wife. I'm like, hey, crazy idea. How about we don't contribute to my IRA this year, and I buy this crazy computer to start making money? And she's like, cool, let's do that. Um, and then you, you know, you just keep getting d- deeper and deeper. You know, it's like I got nice hash, and so it. it you know, I'm mining whatever. I don't even know what it was mining. Um, but I'm getting paid in Bitcoin. Um, so every day I'm stacking a little more. And then I'm doing the research, doing the podcast. Nothing makes sense. I think that's, you know, I realize now that's probably intentional where they're trying to sound smart and innovative, but it's really just kind of BS, right? And so it was just like progressively more Bitcoin. Um, and then so I think about from the dude, from the point the guy told me about the mining, I think within 120 days it was like, like all in, like all of our life savings. And and what kind of really helped was that first, uh, that first stimulus bill got published, or you know they announced it, whatever, and you know one and a half trillion dollars or something, and they're just talking about it like it's not an enormous amount of money. Um, and so that really kind of helped solidify. Uh, the decision, right, to kind of go all in, and and I like I like to say this, and I want to say this for the record, is that I beat Elon Musk and Michael Saylor <laughs> to Bitcoin, um, so that's that's a win. But it just kind of progressed from there, and then you know, so I'm listening to podcasts, you know, I'd say six to twelve hours worth of content a day, depending on how much I'm driving. Um, so I actually put I put in an article not too long ago that I listened to Greg Foss when I deadlift, and that's not like that wasn't a joke. I do I listen to Greg Foss and you know whoever when I deadlift. So it's funny to say that, but like it's actually true. Um, and then let's see, I go to grad school. All my econ professors are spouting McKinsey stuff. None of them get it, and so you know more bullish. That's why I'm staying poor. I graduate, get to my next unit, and then I'm kind of bored at work one day. And so I go on the Bitcoin Magazine website. I'm like thinking, hey, where's my magazine? I paid, you know, I paid for it. It's been about three months. Where is this thing? Trying to find customer service, um, email address, like, hey, where's my magazine? Stumble upon uh, the article submission link. And then I'm just like, hey. I got ideas. And so I emailed the editor. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? And he's like, cool, send me your draft. Um, and so now, now I have to create a draft. So like, oh, man, okay. And so I just I type something out on Microsoft Word real quick. I think it's 20, 30 minutes. I'm like proofreading it. Like, you know, like my life depends on it. And then, and then I email it in. And they're like, cool, we like this. Great. Here's, you know, here's your contributor agreement. Next time, send it on Google Docs. So I got to figure out what Google Docs is. We don't use that, but you know, it, it just it just kind of spiraled from there. And so, you know, I got you know this one of these articles I wrote about energy. It went some, some troll picked it up and like you know roasted me on Twitter. Got like forty thousand likes or something. But it's like that same article got me you know attention from this startup of this guy who I talk to all the time now and. You know, we might we might actually work for each other. And then, you know, other articles. You know, I, I talked I talked for an hour with with a you know this company in Houston. Um, 
yesterday, and, and it's just like you know some some people. How do I put this? Bitcoin Magazine didn't invite me to write for them, and they did not invite me to continue writing for them. But but it's just been amazing how receptive the entire community is, and how you can kind of like transform your obsession into almost like a career or a side hustle or an opportunity. And and I think this I think this is kind of the revitalization of the American dream, really. Where it's like Bitcoin is like this huge opportunity with this awesome community, and and I couldn't be more excited about it. <laughs> No, no problems. It was great. I really appreciate your insight and your transparency on that. And even for me, like I've, I paid attention to you because, you know, you just been crushing it on the, the article scene on Bitcoin mag and I'm a writer as well. And I've written a couple articles for Bitcoin magazine, but I'm really interested in seeing people that are super hungry and ambitious about this asset. And I just think that your perspective and the way that your thought process goes into thinking about Bitcoin is very unique and different. And you know, you talk about opportunities arising uh, down the road. Now you're on this podcast and it's like, you know, I think that there's going to be tons of more podcasts that are going to want to hear um, your insight on Bitcoin energy, even like your military background, which is what I want to, you know, kind of expound on a little bit more. And, you know, I really want to talk about military pay because, you know, you say something about um, TA kind of being like nonsense and then also getting free schooling through West Point. So it's like, things are based on incentives. So a lot of people go into the armed forces for a number of different reasons. But one of those reasons is also, you know, the pay, the benefits, the opportunities, the ability to travel. And Nikki, I want to talk about, you know, military pay raises are based on the average cost of employment in the private sector most times. Um, but the private sector in particular, the wages have not you know, kept up with the inflation hurdle rate or the cost of capital or just the cost of living increasing, right? So my question to you is, um, are military pay, you know, are they effectively taking a pay cut or do you think that Bitcoin will actually fix, uh, you know, military personnel actually getting um, a better bang for their buck down the road? Yeah, so that's, that's a tough question and there's, there's kind of a couple parts to it. So, so in the military, you get, <clears throat> essentially every year you get like cost of living adjustment. And so that's, that's the 4.5% um, that you're alluding to. Um, and so there's, there's, you know, there's a couple pieces to it. And so it, it, like the big answer is it depends, right? And so like 4.5% the base pay, but then you also get a basic allowance for housing that's not taxable. You get a basic allowance for subsistence. Um, which is really weird and hard to explain, but essentially it's so that when you go to the field, the army has something to charge uh, for, for like MREs and stuff. Um, and then there's a bunch of special pay, but on top of that, you also will get uh, time and service pay raises that are completely separate. So I, I forget, I think like it's like every year, for the first four years or something. I haven't looked at the pay charts in a while, but then after that, it's like every other year. And so even years, um, I think I hit, hit nine years in service in May. And so, you know, the 4.5%, yeah, I got a real pay cut, but so did pretty much half the country this year. And so I don't think it's a unique issue to the military, um, but then I'll get another cost of living pay raise uh, next January, and then when I hit my 10 years time in service in May 24, 
I'll get another pay raise too. So it's, it's like, you know, it's kind of like leapfrogging around. Um, but, but I, I looked up recently was like the average pay increases for, uh, 2021 for last year. I think it was like five, five ish, 5.1%. Um, so, so really like that's half the country. Well, potentially more because inflation was higher. So, you know, if you have inflation at five, the average of, you know, the pay raise is at, I'm mixing up numbers, inflation at seven, pay raises at five, you know, you got half of the people at that 5% getting less, getting half, other half getting more. So it's not, it's not a unique military problem. Um, and then I, I think it's more so a problem of, of like financial education. So kind of what you were pointing towards is Bitcoin business type answer. Um, so I think it really hits those people hard that are living paycheck to paycheck. And so like, I'm, I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. I, you know, I have three kids and in a relatively expensive area. And so it's definitely not fun, but any pay raise greater than zero is, is good. Um, not as good as it could be, but I, I think it's to be expected working in like a public service role. Um, and, and kind of the way to alleviate the pain of stuff like this is I think, I think it, it's really the financial education piece where, where like a lot of guys, you know, paycheck to paycheck. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of my rambling non-answer to your question. Nice, nice. Thank you. Thank you, Mickey, for that. And, you know, there was a couple of things that you said in there that I really found profound, which was um, the pay cut or the increase, right? Where you say that um, it's not unique to your situation being in the military and half of the country pretty much feeling the the pressure from the Fed and from, you know, inflation rising. And the U.S. federal government is already projected to run a $1 trillion deficit in 2023, probably into 2024. And the deficit is more than likely um, going to be much higher than the data shows, right? So do you believe more people are going to be onboarding to Bitcoin and doing so because of the weakened dollar that we're seeing now? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Because I mean, the numbers are getting pretty big, right? And then you said, you said half the country. And so the average, like potentially 50%, but, but I don't think like the wage growth is normally distributed. I think it's kind of skewed to the, you know, the higher end jobs. And so potentially, you know, two thirds or whatever of the country is probably feeling the pain. Um, and then I'm, I'm trying to answer this in a way where I'm not going to get in trouble. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think the number is getting big, right? And so the debt's getting big, the deficit's getting big. And I think people are going to be concerned, especially with the inflation. And then once the Federal Reserve pivots, um, I think Bitcoin's really going to show its strength. Um, and then people are going to start waking up and wanting to save in Bitcoin. It's, it's that really great. It's, it's, so in economics, it's called a Giffen good. It's one of those really weird things where the demand goes up with the price. And so there's some like, there's some things, um, you know, like Bentleys, right? Like if you're buying a Bentley, you're not going to wait for the 20% off sale. You're going to want to spend as much money as you possibly can on a Bentley. And so really it's like, it's like one of those, those things like Rolex Bentley luxury stuff is as the price goes up, more people want it. And so I think once the Fed pivots, that's kind of going to be like 
the big advertisement is the Bitcoin price just shooting through the shooting through the roof, um, and that's going to like onboard a lot of people, pique their interest again. Like, oh, Bitcoin didn't die because of FTX and Celsius and all these other things. Like, what were these talking heads talking about? They're obviously wrong, and so maybe I should actually look into this. Yeah, most definitely, and um, you know. TA technical analysis. Like I had Joe Consorti on and I think that he's like one of the smartest people out in the game right now for TA, but TA in, in conjunction with Bitcoin to me is like, it's kind of sketchy because Bitcoin really can't be controlled. You don't really know what it's going to do. Like, look at it right now. Like this is the top of 2023 and it's kind of rallying. Now people were saying that, oh, it's going to stay at 17 or 16 K. Now it's in the 20 K. And that's because of, you know, CPI has been kind of like adjusted. So anytime the Fed does a pivot, uh, Bitcoin tends to move in either direction. But I think that they really can't control or tell you what the price is going to be, what the bottom's going to be. It's just like a best bet in trying to look at the technical analysis to see like what the trend was six months ago or what the last bull market was doing. But it's really like up in the air. And I think that that's what makes Bitcoin kind of unique outside of any other asset because you can't really, um, you know, follow this thing, you know, over a long period of time. It's only been around for 14 years and it's nothing like anything we've ever seen before as far as like, um, you know, a commodity or something that is a store of value. So I definitely agree with you, Mickey, on the fact that, you know, everything is really subjective and whether you're in the military or you're just a regular nine to fiver. Um, I think taking your money and putting into something like Bitcoin is very beneficial because we're going to continue to see um, inflation go up, cost of living go up, um, utility prices are getting higher every day. If you're a father, uh, you know, you have kids, you have a household that you have to take care of. Um, these things start to come into the picture and make sense to you when you have those bills due. So I think that Bitcoin is one of those things, even if you can put away a small amount of money to just put it into your savings or into something as a hedge. I think that that's going to be really beneficial for a lot of people uh, down the road. Yeah. And kind of, kind of to play off what you just said, like I, the TA stuff, I can't, I can't stomach that. I can't stomach trading. I don't even want to. I'm just, I'm like, I'm like a Matt Odell disciple to stay humble and stack sats. Um, you know, to quote Greg Foss too, is like, I don't want to be picking up, nickels in front of the steamroller um because i'm going to say something crazy here there is no limit to bitcoin's price in the long term as long as fiat currencies exist and central banks have the propensity to print money to solve problems that's my crazy idea and i'm just gonna buy bitcoin and, and hold it forever because Bitcoin really can't be controlled. You don't really know what it's going to do. Like, look at it right now. Like, this is the top of 2023 and it's kind of rallying now. People were saying that, oh, it's going to stay at 17 or 16K. Now it's in the 20K. And that's because of, you know, CPI has been kind of like adjusted. So anytime the Fed does a pivot, uh, Bitcoin tends to move in either direction. But I think that they really can't control or tell you what the price is going to be, what the bottom's going to be. It's just like a best bet in trying to look at the technical analysis to see like what the trend was six months ago or what the last bull market was doing. But it's really like up in the air. And I think that that's what makes Bitcoin kind of unique outside of any other asset because you can't really, um, you know, follow this thing you know, over a long period of time, it's only been around for 14 years and it's nothing like anything we've ever seen before as far as like, 
um, you know, a commodity or something that is a store of value. So I definitely agree with you, Mickey, on the fact that, you know, everything is really subjective. And whether you're in the military or you're just a regular nine to fiver, um, I think taking your money and putting into something like Bitcoin is very beneficial because we're going to continue to see um, inflation go up, cost of living go up. Um, utility prices are getting higher every day. If you're a father, uh, you know, you have kids, you have a household that you have to take care of. Um, these things start to come into the picture and make sense to you when you have those bills due. So I think that Bitcoin is one of those things, even if you can put away a small amount of money to just put it into your savings or into something as a hedge. I think that that's going to be really beneficial for a lot of people uh, down the road. Yeah. And kind of, kind of to play off what you just said, like I, the TA stuff, I can't, I can't stomach that. I can't stomach trading. I don't even want to. I'm just, I'm like, I'm like a Matt Odell disciple to stay humble and stack stats. Um, you know, to quote Greg Foss too, is like, I don't want to be picking up nickels in front of the steamroller. Um, because I'm going to say something crazy here. There is no limit to Bitcoin's price in the long term. As long as fiat currencies exist and central banks have the propensity to print money to solve problems. That's my crazy idea. And I'm just going to buy Bitcoin and, and hold it forever. Most definitely. And some of the smartest people in the industry are doing the same thing. They're not probably as vocal as you are, but they're doing it and they're doing it in their own way. And um, I think that, you know, it's just one of those things where it's it's how you approach Bitcoin. And I have a lot of guests on this show and I always try to really get their insight and how they source their knowledge. So, you know, I learn things from everybody and I've just learned things from the way that a Bitcoiner would approach things. And it's just so interesting and beautiful to see how uh, Bitcoin is allowing all these different thought patterns and approaches to just be kind of boiled down into this singular laser focused vision of decentralization. And I think that uh, you know, as you see more and more people starting to gravitate towards this asset, things like TA, things like, you know, focusing on trading will start to kind of be put on the back burner and then people are just going to buy in. So it's like when you buy an ETF, for example, why would you buy an ETF if you can just buy the asset directly from the source? So I think that that's the fight that people in the next few years are going to have to really pay attention to, because especially if they give like a spot ETF, a lot of the boomers and people that aren't really technically savvy or want to really get into the asset heavy and do their homework, they'll probably gravitate towards like something like an ETF versus just going on cash app or strike or, you know, directly through the lightning network and get Bitcoin right in your hands personally. So, you know, we'll see what happens and time will tell for sure. But, uh, yeah, but Mickey, uh, so I have another question for you. So this question is kind of, uh, based around the military again, and, you know, just Bitcoin as I don't want to say a form of national security or defense, but just something that I feel uh, the government may have to pay attention to. The military may have to pay attention to as far as uh, protecting Bitcoin like they would protect uh, gold bars in Fort Knox. And when you think of a nation state, uh, Bitcoin is like the monetary entity. Um, the miner is like the military and nodes are its rule of law. Right. And the software is like money, right? So we could just use software as money. And, you know, Jason Lowry and some other people have been talking about this for a while. And I just want to hear your thoughts on it personally, where do you believe that Bitcoin is a national security threat? Or do you believe that Bitcoin is something that the military should protect and kind of mine and pay attention to uh, in the near future? 
Yes, yeah, so I felt I felt this one coming. So I actually actually pinged uh, Jason Lowry yesterday to kind of like clarify his basis and make sure I'm kind of getting it right. And so Bitcoin is is not a national security threat. It's it's a national security imperative. Um, and so there, there's kind of two lanes to this. Is is the first is trade, right? And so if, if you look back, you know, 16, 1700s, I'm probably going too far, 17, 18, maybe, yeah, 16, 17. So you have England, right? This tiny little island nation in the grand scheme of things in the world. And yet they were conquering countries all over the world. And they were like the financial powerhouse for a long time. And that's because they had a navy, right? Um, and so if you look to the U.S.'s power right now, so one, one of the reasons the U.S. is like this, you know, quasi-empire, global hegemon, is because of our ability to project kinetic power. And so we have, you know, this massive Navy, and even when there's not a war going on, the Navy's out, you know, driving their boats around, uh, enforcing, you know, trade routes, securing trade routes, and, and making sure that, you know, commodities and goods are, are flowing around the world. So essentially that's that's kind of one of the Navy's roles is is they're a strategic asset to to kind of secure trade routes and, and, and keep the money and goods flowing around the world. And so that's that's one of the biggest reasons that, that America is powerful, right? And then so you have, you know, nineteen seventy one decision to break from the gold standard, we get the petrodollar um, which which means that everyone's got to buy oil with U.S. dollars, right? And then the Saudis, you know, they take the profits, they roll it into treasuries, they make risk-free money. Um, so essentially, <clears throat> after 1971 or after World War II, dollar becomes the world reserve currency. Lots of years go by. Um, and then lots of countries are using U.S. treasuries as reserve assets. Um, so... About a year ago, right, Russia invades Ukraine, and what happens is the U.S. initiates sanctions with European Union and essentially seizes, you know, a couple hundred billion dollars worth of currency reserves from Russia. And so the risk there now is is that the U.S. potentially overplayed its hand, and people are going to start divesting, not people, countries. Countries are going to start divesting um of U.S. Treasuries as a reserve asset, and and that was potentially the first domino to fall, or you know one of the bigger dominoes to fall in in the series of events that leads the U.S. to um, losing its global reserve currency status. Um, and so there, there's a couple things with with Jason Lowry's thesis is that so Bitcoin mining is kind of like the digital navy in cyberspace, right? So if you are able to incentivize a lot of mining within within the borders of your state, then you can leverage those as kind of a strategic national asset to ensure that your international trade is secured, right? And so we don't want just like Russia, China, Iran, um, mining Bitcoin because then they can kind of like 51% attack the United States and prevent our transactions from going through. You know what I mean? Um, and so we want a robust population 
or distribution of hash within the United States to protect our ability to transact freely on the Bitcoin network because Jason believes that um, Bitcoin is the future world reserve currency and international trade settlement currency. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, the macro thesis from what I understand, and I apologize um, if, if I'm kind of getting wrong, but I, I think I'm pretty pretty on it, right? Um, and then so so people get kind of triggered in the Bitcoin community by by his hash force uh, comments, and I think that's because they misunderstand uh, military command structures, right? And so the the way. It's kind of like a headquarters with a staff. Um, and so we're not going to have like, you know, like a 10,000 person like brigade or, you know, 10,000 person brigade, you know, working to mine Bitcoin like for the army or for the DOD. That's not at all what he's arguing for. It's more so like we want like the hash command or whatever. And it's like, you know, a two or three star, four star general command up at, you know, the Pentagon level, potentially subservient to the cyber command. And they will, you know, kind of monitor the hash growth and hash health throughout the United States and kind of advocate for them um, in policy decisions and stuff like that to, to ensure that the U.S. has, like, you know, their healthy portion of the hash rate so that we can maintain international trade and then helping to secure those sites through probably physical and cyber means to prevent them from being attacked by other nation states. Um, and so it's not at all about uh, the U.S. government like mining Bitcoin or trying to accumulate hash power. It's more so like how do I say this? It's more so promoting hash rate within the country and then helping to secure it uh, from nation state attacks to, to try to, you know, mess with, with, with our hash. And then if, if you go, so we were talking about this briefly before we, we started recording, but he, he had that recent interview with Marty on uh, TFTC. And so he alluded to... Um, so see, Michael Saylor talks about that thesis on Twitter, right? Where where if you pay the sats, then you can talk because because it costs money to spam people, right? That's kind of the whole idea that, that started proof of work. Um, and then so Jason Lowry kind of took that idea and then applied it to like the entire internet. And so potential for Bitcoin to become like the cybersecurity layer of of the entire internet or at least using it to, to help secure government, you know, sensitive systems as well. Um, and so the, this is kind of an oversimplified version of, of what he's kind of saying, but I, I definitely, I, I don't know if I got it quite right, but I, I, I'm pretty close to what, what he's trying to say. And and I really agree with him because if, if the U.S. is going to lose its world reserve currency status, um, you know, it becomes in the national interest to promote hash rate growth within the country, not so that you can capture it because capturing it destroys it, but because you so you can promote and secure it and ensure international trade 
um, freedom within your borders. Is it like more of like if America cares about protecting its economy, um, that economy needs to have Bitcoin somewhere in its defense plan and future wars will be, you know, in cyberspace per se, you know, using like kinetic or less kinetic energy. And if our enemies are using like cyber warfare against us, for example, um, you're saying that we need to at least be able to protect that, protect the hash rate and kind of remove ourselves from having this centralized economy where we're the number one universal currency in the world and you have other countries that are competing to kind of overtake that, whether it be China or Russia or any of these other countries. So you're saying the underpinnings of our economy doesn't have to be fully immersed in Bitcoin, but we should have at least a percentage in there to kind of be used as a cyber defense mechanism if we needed to in the future. Is that what you're kind of saying, Mickey? Yeah, I, I'm trying to regurgitate Jason Lowry's thesis for you. Um, and, and so it's, it's kind of like, his thesis is like U.S. currency will cease to be the the world reserve currency. So we need to double down on Bitcoin um, to ensure that we we maintain you know our status within the world for the time being, right? For the foreseeable future. And so the way to do that is to create um, the hash force, right? And so the hash force will advise you know, DOD on how to protect and promote hash growth within the country. And then they will also work to secure it physically and well, potentially physically and in cyberspace as well from, from nation state level attack in order to facilitate or, or maintain uh, freedom of transaction uh, in international trade. So to get that, that final settlement that, that Bitcoin provides, the trustless final settlement. It's, it's, so it's, it's, it's hard to explain kind of without using the military jargon. So really what Jason Lowry is trying to do is trying to frame Bitcoin in a way that the military leaders can understand. And so that's really what he's trying to do. But he's, he is certainly an ally to the Bitcoin movement. Um, he's certainly pushing for it. And he's not. You know, he's not at all arguing that Bitcoin's a national security risk. His, his thesis is 100% Bitcoin is a national security uh, imperative, and, and the government needs to probably do more to facilitate hash growth within the country. That's one of those things like, you know, I'm not a military person. I don't have a military background. So, you know, hopefully down the road, I can get Jason on for him to kind of explain his point more in depth. But you know, I know there's different branches of the military. He's like in Space Force, you're an army guy. And I just wanted to hear like the different perspectives of like how you would approach it, how he would approach it. But I think you really cleared that up really well for people that don't really understand some of the jargon, including myself, like what you just kind of explained made a lot more sense of what Jason's point was because when he tweeted things, it was like, I get it from a Bitcoiner standpoint, but when he started to intertwine some of the military processes and jargon, he like lost me there. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Mickey, for kind of breaking that down. That makes a lot more sense for sure. Yeah, it helps. I'm, I'm just barely smart enough to understand him and I have the military background. Um, and then I, I have kind of like, I can, I can kind of dumb things down to my level pretty well. So 
<laughs> nice. Uh, Mickey, this conversation was great. We really got into some really good topics. But before we leave, I really want to ask you, like, you know, what do you plan within the next few months or in the future as far as like your writing, what you plan to do in Bitcoin, any of your future endeavors? Could you kind of give that to the audience if you feel free to? So I just I just kind of initiated my my separation from the army, actually. And so I'm going to I'm going to keep pursuing, you know, Bitcoin opportunities outside the military. Um, the plan is to, to be back in Texas by God, what year is it? 2023. So 2024, 2025. So summer 2025, be back in Texas, but, but I'll probably start being able to, to work um, at least remotely from, from where I'm at now uh, in the summer of 2024. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep writing. You know, I, I, I don't do it for really any other reason than I enjoy doing it. And so I have I have the Google Docs app. Actually, I have I have an iPhone 13 mini, and I've written all of the articles on my iPhone um, in the Google Docs app. Uh, I'd say almost all of them have taken me less than an hour, about half, less than 30 minutes, and maybe two or three have taken maybe 15 minutes to write and just shoot it off. Um, I do it because it's fun. And so I'll just, I'm going to keep writing because I enjoy it, um, try to make friends in the Bitcoin space. Um, I just just continue to just see where this goes. I don't know. It, it, it's pretty crazy because it's like I haven't even been writing for Bitcoin Magazine for a year yet. <laughs> and like, I, you know, I'm on a podcast. You know, this is weird. I've never done this before, but, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe I can do another one. Maybe I didn't do so bad on this. And... You know, I don't know. It's just, we'll see where it goes, I guess. Most definitely. And Mickey, you know, you did a great job on this podcast. And I think that, you know, as a writer, for me, like I really look at the cadence, the, the articulation and just the intelligent approach to how someone is writing something. And I can say that I've read probably 15 to 16 of your articles, whether it was on energy, financial literacy, the Fed, interest rates, all this stuff. And I know that you have a good insight and you have a point that you want to bring to the world. And I think that a lot more people, especially in this year of 2023, are definitely going to start um, gravitating to your writing because you're bringing a perspective that a lot of Americans, a lot of people across the world want to hear. And I think that it's important. And I think that that's why Bitcoin Magazine, when they saw your first article, the editors read it, they knew exactly what you were going to bring to the table. So they were onboarding you very quickly because they have an eye for talent and they know exactly what Bitcoiners want to hear. And I think that what you're writing about is what people want to hear. I know I want to hear more from you. So I definitely encourage you to write as much as you can, post it, share it, retweet it. We're definitely going to support you here at the Bitcoin Source. And uh, Mickey, before we end things off, I just want to thank you for taking time to be on this podcast, have this Bitcoin conversation. Um, have a good one. Yeah, I, lo I love this. Thank you for your support. This was fun. Uh, maybe we could do it again sometime. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh.